Thanks for listening to the Three Strands Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. Very encouraged. I know I said this last week. It's very encouraging for me as the pastor. Anytime you get up here and teach God's word, and then you hear back from people in the crowd that actually heard what was said, uh, took God's word and didn't just listen to it, but went out and put it into practice. And so for all of you um, in the crowd that were here either the last two weeks that we've been in this series, and you went out of here and you made some new priorities for your life, that's very encouraging. Or if you went out of here and you put some of these principles into practice from last week to love people in your life better, that's very encouraging for me. So thank you very much. And uh, we kind of hit off on week three today of this six-week-long sermon, and um, it's a tough one for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a tough one for me, so I'll try to be as real and upfront with you as I can, but let me ask you this question to start off today. What do you think of when you hear the word mercy, when you hear the word mercy? Now, in the South, people say mercy all the time as like some kind of weird, like just like filler thing that you say. Like, you know, in the North, I don't know if we say like okay or whatever, but, but down here they're like mercy. Like if something happens, they'd be like, mercy. I don't even know, I don't, even, I don't know what that means. But so uh, uh, when they say that, but what do you think of when you hear the word mercy? Some people think of weakness, that that's like weakness. Or some people think of like what you give to the other team in Little League when they're up by 10 or more runs, right? The mercy rule. Or maybe some people had a coach or a parent growing up that said to them, show your opponent no mercy, right? Um, but, but a lot of people think of that word and it kind of comes across like a negative word like something you get if you're losing or something that you give to people that have no chance of defeating you or, or something that makes you less of a human being, something that makes you a little weaker, right? We've been almost brainwashed growing up into thinking that this is a negative thing, that mercy is a bad thing. But today, I want you to know the power of mercy. I want you to know that God talks about it a lot. And not only does he talk about it a lot, But it's impossible to have a healthy, strong relationship with anybody without having some mercy. It's impossible. Do you you know why that is? I'm going to tell you why that is. Here's why that is. You ready? Because nobody's perfect. In fact, all of us mess up often. And so if there's no mercy, then you find yourself always angry at the other person and always punishing them. I'm going to show it to you from God's word today, but I want you to walk out of here today with the power of mercy in all of your relationships, whether it's the people you live with at your house, the friends you surround yourself with, the coworkers or students that you see each day. I want you to know the power of mercy. But like I said at the beginning there, it's a very big challenge for me. Of all the six pieces of power that we're kind of looking at in this series to take our relationships, our families to a whole new level. This third one, this one here kind of in the middle, this power of mercy, it's the hardest one for me. And as I studied this week and as I kind of went over my notes again this morning, it's just like I feel like I'm preaching at me. And so maybe you're like me and this will be the hardest piece of the puzzle for you to take your family to a whole new level, to love on the people in your life better, to see your relationships grow stronger and healthier. Maybe this will be the hardest one for you also, because maybe you're like me in that you kind of have this sense inside of you that you feel like you need to right every wrong in the world. Or maybe you think that like a lot of people are just plain dumb. Or maybe it's hard for you to, 
to see or hear something that's incorrect and not correct it every time. And, and if, if those are your struggles, then you're just like me. And that makes mercy very difficult. In fact, when I looked at last week's, you'd think, well, maybe love is the most difficult, but really, I struggle so much more with mercy than I do with love. I feel like I could die for my family in an instant, but it's so difficult to extend the mercy over something little. And so I don't want that to be the case for us. I want us to walk out with the power of mercy. And I want you to see that mercy isn't something for the weak, but that it actually takes courage to give people in your life mercy. It actually makes you stronger and healthier, and it is completely necessary if any relationship's going to work out. So what I'd like to do today is give you a quick mercy test. I know, don't get up and walk out. I know, all right, but I'm going to give you a quick quiz on mercy, okay? It's just four questions. I'm going to give you four quick questions. You can answer them for yourself. I'm not going to have you turn in your score, Okay. Uh, but I just want you to know I've taken this test now twice. I took it the second time, like the ACT, thinking maybe if I took it again, I'd get a better score, but I didn't. The more honest I got and the more I took it, the worse I did. So, but, so you may just want to take it the one time, but I'll give you the questions that will be on the screen. So here's the first question. You ready? Maybe. When my homies get some details wrong while telling a story, do I, these are all multiple choice, Sam. It'll be easy. Ready? Do I interrupt them or correct them publicly? Okay, you with me? Or say nothing knowing that I've done the same thing. So grade yourself there, A or B. Do I, when somebody in my life, a family member, a friend, a coworker, somebody I'm tight with, right, when they tell some story and they get some of the details wrong, do I interrupt them and correct them? Or do I say nothing knowing I've made the same kind of mistakes when I've told stories before, right? All right. Here's the second question. You ready? When my homies keep making the same mistake over and over, do I, A, become irritated and angry with them? How many people are ready to quit the quiz right now? <laughs> or B, graciously forgive and pray for them. All right? All right. Now, I know there's people in the crowd like Kenny and Sam right now. They're like, I do both those. This is a stupid quiz. You don't even know what you're asking. Don't I? Can I do both? I get it. You can do both of these. But I'm asking you, which one is more likely to be you? Okay, you ready? All right, question number three. Question number three. When my homies say or do something that I don't understand, that I think is completely off the rails or insane or crazy, do I, A, assume the worst and question their motivation, or B, assume they are good-willed with good intentions, right? That's a bad one for me, right? Because you'll find at my house how often this conversation at my house will often go down a lot like this. you be like, I didn't do it on purpose. It really feels like you did it on purpose. <laughs> how could you not have done that on purpose? There's no way you had a good intention. Uh, this, is, this is a tough one for me, all right? You got it, A or B there, right? Question number four. This one's the shortest answer, ready? Am I more polite with my homies or with strangers, right? Strangers is A, homies is B. So how many A's did you have? Don't raise your hand. Don't shout it out. There was four questions. How many of them were A's? I want you to know, in case you missed this, A's were all the bad answers. Did you guys get that? All right. B's were all the healthy answers. You guys got that, right? Yeah. B's were all the healthy answers, right? Is that right? A is the top one. Yeah, yeah. You want? Yeah, yeah. I quit trying to justify your lack of mercy. All right. So, it, yeah, I know, right? I know. It's right. So, if you scored a bunch of A's, there's a good chance you're not very merciful. If you scored a bunch of B's, then maybe you slant more on the merciful side. But for me, I felt like all four of those questions, I was A on all of them. 
I tend to be more polite with people I don't even know than the people I say I love and care about. I tend to assume the worst of intentions in them. When they make the same mistake over and over again, I can't possibly believe they'd keep being, that would keep being happening by accident. And, and, and when they mess up, mess up some detail or say something wrong, I'm like the first one to correct them because I can't stand it inside when something's not right. I feel like i got to fix it all. Lack of mercy. So how'd you score? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell your spouse how they scored, all right? But let me show you what Jesus has to say about mercy. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus is speaking. This is what he says about mercy. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We'll come back to that verse a little later. Man, I'm struggling with our rug today. I'll come back to that verse a little later. See, I have to fix that. It's like justice. I need it to all be right, Tammy. <laughs> we'll come back to that verse later. But, but notice that in this verse, like the blessing that I receive for showing other people mercy doesn't actually come from the other people. It comes from God. When I show other people mercy, I get something back from God in return, in exchange for that, right? The mercy I'm promised is a God gift, not something from people. So what I'd like to do with the rest of our time today is just ask you three questions and together from God's word, answer those three questions. Can we do that? So that we understand what mercy is, what it looks like, how we can best put it into practice in our life, how we can reap the rewards that come from it. So we're going to have to start with the first question. It's the question you'd ask almost any subject you're trying to figure out the truth to. Here it is. You ready? What is mercy? Let's all get on the same page about what it is, what it is and what it isn't. What is mercy? So listen to the description in Ephesians chapter 2 of what God is like and what God has done for us. Listen to this description, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Now, there's two humongous theological terms in this word that shadow over the whole Bible, mercy and grace. They're really like, I was going to bring a coin with me, but I don't have any coins. I almost never have coins on me, so I, it's not like that. But. So imagine a coin, right? There's two sides to one coin, but it's just one coin. There's a heads and a tail side, right? That's what mercy and grace are like. They're connected, like a coin is connected to each side of it, each other. It's like one side is grace, the other side is mercy. And if you have trouble understanding one, you may have trouble understanding the other. And what I found about my own life as I really examined it closely is that like, I rock at giving grace, but I blow at giving mercy. So I'm going to show you what they both are, give you a definition for each of them. You look at your own life, see if one is harder or easier than the other. But let's look at them together, okay? So here's my definition of grace. You ready? Grace is like giving you a blessing that isn't deserved and hasn't been earned, okay? Here's mercy. You can just flash back and forth between these definitions. Mercy is withholding punishment that is deserved and has been earned. So I brought with me today grace, grace, and mercy. I brought them with me today, all right? You're like, what are you talking about? Okay. This is grace. There's not one person in this room, except Chad, because he bought this. There's not one person in this room that deserves for me to give him this candy bar or that has earned this candy bar. In fact, Chad told me this morning, this is a Hershey 
Symphony bar. Does anybody know what that is? I was like, what's different between that and a regular Hershey bar? Because on the front it says creamy milk chocolate. I thought that's what a Hershey bar is. I thought that's what a regular Hershey bar was. Chad told me this was the better chocolate. It's like the upscale Hershey bar. It's like Hershey decided the regular milk chocolate wasn't creamy enough for you, so they made like a improved version, right? The symphony Hershey bar, right? So grace is that I come out in the crowd and I give that to somebody who didn't deserve it and hasn't earned it. It, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you gave me a bite of that after church. I'm just saying. But that's, that's grace, right? Now mercy is if one of you walked up and smacked me in the face, I don't want you doing that. We're going to visualize this one. Not, we're not actually going to live this out. This is going to be an internalizing illustration, right? And in response, I picked up my trusty old softball back, bat from a decade ago, Kenny, and I smashed you in the face with it, right? That, that's what you deserve. Mercy would be if I hold that back and don't do that. I'd be like, I'd like to smash you in the face with it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to withhold punishment that you do deserve and have earned. You understand what I'm saying? They're like two sides of one coin. Grace is giving you something you haven't earned and don't deserve. Mercy is holding back something you do deserve and have earned. Grace is giving you a blessing. Mercy is withholding punishment. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about today. And I find myself easy to give grace. For some reason in my heart, that's easy. You can make almost any mistake you want. Mess up your life however you want. Slap me in the face. Treat me badly. And if you came back to me, I would just be like, it's okay, man. I forgive you. It's okay. God's still got a plan for your life. But for some reason, when I feel like there's an injustice that needs righted, or I feel like somebody's offended me over and over, it's like, I just want to take the baseball bat to them. <laughs> All right? So, that just stays here, okay? So half my family's outside, so they didn't hear that. But <laughs> that's the difference between mercy and grace. So let me say it a little different than I said it earlier, right? It is impossible to have a long-lasting, healthy relationship that has no mercy. It's impossible. You'll eventually get so bitter and frustrated at the other person that one of you will quit because nobody's perfect. Did you ever meet somebody whose spouse always stays in the doghouse? Who, who told you at your wedding ceremony that you were allowed to put somebody else in the doghouse? Who, who was it that showed you in God's word where you were allowed to take the relationships in your life and give them all the silent treatment? Who was it that sold you the lie that anytime somebody does something that hurts your feelings, you're entitled to smash them back? What happened to forgiving 70 times 7 and turning the other cheek? What happened to loving your enemies? What happened to those principles from God's Word? It's like we've been brainwashed into thinking, how dare you offend me? You don't deserve my mercy of course you don't deserve it. That's what makes it mercy. Who tricked us into believing that we had the right to punish our friends, our relatives, our spouses, just because they made us upset? Who tricked us into thinking that? And in robbing us from that mercy in our relationships, have ripped apart families, torn apart friendships, 
cause people to live alone and isolate from people they should be encouraging and loving. Who tricked us? Paul Tripp, an author and pastor, defined mercy this way. He said, mercy is the commitment to live alongside of you in this broken world, even though I will suffer with you, for you, and because of you. I will do everything I can to relieve your distress. They're going to hurt your feelings. The people you love the most are going to make you suffer. And the call in your life is to show them mercy. Now, some of you I know already who are like me are sitting there thinking, yeah, but what, am I just supposed to be a doormat and let people walk all over me? Am I not supposed to discipline my kids when they do the wrong thing? You're already asking the wrong questions. You who are like me, who are like-minded and struggle with mercy, you're already asking the questions that say, how many times can I get out of showing mercy? When you should be asking, how many times can I show mercy? You see how quickly we flip the script and try to justify our lack of mercy in people around us? So how does God describe mercy? What is mercy? How does God describe it in the Bible? Let me show you four things I could find in the Bible that God describes is and is not mercy. Can I show you all four of them real quick? Here's the first one. Mercy is an act of the will. Just like last week we said love is a choice, not a feeling, mercy is the same way. It's a decision. You make a choice to extend a layer of compassion to somebody else. They don't deserve it and they haven't earned it, but you make a choice to show them mercy, to give them a pardon, to cut them some slack, just like God has done for me. In other words, like mercy is extending to other people what God has already extended to me. It's, it's kind of a paying it forward mentality. Like God gave me mercy and now I'm giving it to somebody else. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. He's commanding us to do it. Remember I said last week, you can't command somebody to have a feeling. I command you to love me. Even genies can't do that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch Aladdin. You'll find out that's one of the genie rules. Three wishes. You can't command somebody to love you. Blah, blah, blah. You can't bring somebody back from the dead. Doesn't anybody watch cartoons? Come on, Aladdin, right? So you can't command somebody to have a feeling. I'm going to try it right now. Everybody feel excited. You can't, right? You can't make yourself feel inside what somebody commands you on the outside. So God is commanding us not to a feeling, but to an action, to a choice, to be merciful, just like God has been merciful to you. Extend to other people what God has extended to you. Here's the second one. It's an act of the will. And mercy doesn't judge, it helps. Slow down, all you justice people are like, what do you mean don't judge? I should be able to judge somebody. They just don't. Stay with me for a second, right? Doesn't judge, it helps. It doesn't judge, it helps. You might find yourself often saying things like, well, I'd like to help, but you were just plain stupid. Right? Some of you are like, I said that yesterday. You might find yourself saying something like, well, you've made your bed, now lie in it. I tried to warn you, but you wouldn't listen to me. So now you're getting exactly what you deserve. This isn't mercy. This is justice. And there you are. Is there a place for justice? Absolutely. Stop asking yourself how to do more of that. Start asking yourself how to give more mercy. In other words, mercy is choosing to love rather than lecture. And I'd always like the lecture. 
I'd always like to take the people closest to me, tell them exactly why they're wrong and how they were wrong and how they could do it better the next time we disagree. But that'd be lecturing, not loving. That'd be judgment, not helping. That'd be fake mercy, fake help, not the real thing. Look at Proverbs 13, 15. Proverbs 13, 50 says, 15 says, the way of the treacherous is hard. Some translations phrase that the way of the transgressor is hard. In other words, what I'm saying is like, what I've found over the years is people that screw a bunch of things up and commit a lot of sin and disobey God often and offend me frequently, they don't really need me to tell them that they've screwed their life up. God has this way of making life harder for the transgressors, for the trespassers, for the, for the treacherous, the people that live that way. I don't have to heap on consequence when God's already consequencing them. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, mercy is deciding not to kick someone when they're down. I don't have to give them extra consequence when they're already experiencing a hard life because of the way they've chosen to live. So mercy is an act of the will. Mercy doesn't judge, it helps. Mercy also does not overlook wrong. Now here's the other side of that. It's not mercy to stick your head in the sand and act like everything's okay. It's not mercy to condone people's sin or the things they do to disobey God or offend you. That's not mercy. No, mercy doesn't overlook wrong. It's not condoning people's sin or their foolishness. They might experience consequences from those choices, but it's not my job to heap on those consequences. No, I follow God's plan for dealing with their mistakes, for dealing with their sins or their offenses against me. I don't just speak my mind or give everybody my two cents. Here's God's plan. You ready? Look at Matthew 18, verse 15. If another believer sins, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Galatians 6.1 says, I'm supposed to do that in a spirit of gentleness and humility, knowing that I could fall victim to the exact same offense. I don't just spout off, scream at them, make them feel this big for having offended me. No, I go to them privately, gently, with humility, and I let them know about the offense. And if they confess it and repent, I've won back a friend. I've won back a healthy marriage. It doesn't have to be the silent treatment for a month. It doesn't have to be me earning back your favor. No, we can have a disagreement. You can offend me. I can offend you. And in a couple minutes, we can be healed again and have a healthier friendship, a healthier work environment. I don't have to overlook the wrong. No, mercy means I deal with offenses, but I deal with them gently, not harshly. Mercy is not calling wrong right, because if wrong was right, then we wouldn't need mercy. I can disagree with you, and you can disagree with me, and I can still love you. And what I'm saying is like, you can't make me hate you. No matter what you do, or how you disobey God, or what you do to offend me. And I need you to know that people in our church have offended me over the years. People that I considered some of my closest friends have slapped me in the face and turned their back on God, and they're still my friends. They may not call me a friend, but they're my friend. I love them. I don't hate them. You are incapable of making me feel love or hate, because it's a choice. And I choose not to hate you. 
no matter what offense you commit, no matter how you mistreat me, no matter how much harder you make my life, I choose not to hate you. So number four, here's the fourth thing the Bible says about mercy. That mercy patiently extends compassion and forgiveness. It patiently extends compassion and forgiveness. We don't abandon people. We don't give up on them. We do whatever we can to help them. And we stand at the ready to hug them and welcome them back home. Even if they've treated us with hatred. That's mercy. This is the Bible's description of mercy. Look at Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Anyone or just some people? Anyone. Remember, here's this idea again. The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That's what mercy is. That's what mercy is. Do all those verses, do those principles, do they describe the normal you? Or is that the rarely seen you? Is the, the you that's often seen at home when the doors are shut? Is the you that's often seen at work with your coworkers? Is the you that's often seen by people in your life, by the homies around you? Is it a choice to extend them the same mercy that God extended you? Is it helping instead of judging? Is it gently confronting offenses? Or is it spouting off in anger? Is it patiently extending them compassion and forgiveness? Or is it holding a grudge and making them pay? What is the normal you? Because that's what mercy is to God. Okay, question number two, you ready? Why should I be merciful? Why be merciful? And, and I want to say to you up front on this one, like, if God gave us a reason to be merciful, that would be good, and we should do it. But guess what? God gave us four reasons to be merciful, not one. I mean, if he just told us to do it, wouldn't that be sufficient from the God of the universe? But he gives us four specific reasons in the Bible why we should be merciful. Let me show you all four of them real quick. Here's the first one. You ready? I should be merciful because God has shown me mercy. We already talked about that one, right? But look again at Matthew 18, verse 33. Shouldn't you have mercy on others just as I, Jesus, just as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't I take what you've given me and give it to others? Reason number one, because God has shown me mercy. That would be enough. But he doesn't stop there. God commands me to be merciful. He commands it of me. Look at Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. In other words, here's what he's saying in 2021 English. You ready? Here's what he's saying. If you come to church and you give me your money and you serve me with all your heart and you sacrifice for the benefit of others, but you won't extend mercy, to somebody that mistreats you or somebody that offends you, keep all the other stuff. I don't want it. I don't want all your sacrifices and you keep blowing your top at everybody. No, I want you to give people mercy. That would be enough if he just gave us those two. Because he gave us mercy, we should give it to others. Because he commanded us to be mercy, but he doesn't stop there. He says, he also tells us, I want you to be merciful because at some point in the future, you're going to need more mercy. I'm going to need more mercy. Look at James chapter 2, verse 13. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. 
But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. One day, I'm going to stand in front of God face to face. And he's going to judge me. And what this verse is telling me is, if I haven't extended any mercy to anybody else, I shouldn't dare expect God to extend mercy to me. Reason number three, at some point in the future, I'm going to need some more mercy. Unless you think you're going to get it all right from here on out. Let me correct that thinking in us. You're going to keep messing it up. And you're going to need more mercy in the future. Here's the fourth reason he gives us. You ready? Mercy brings blessing. We already read that one, but look back at Matthew 5, 7. What did he say? God blesses those who are merciful. Now let me ask you this. Which one of those four would you like to be on the wrong side of? Would you like to be on the side of like, hey, uh, God's shown me mercy, but I don't really care. I'm not going to give it to anybody else, even though he gave me some. Would you like to be on the side like, well, I know he commanded me to do it, but I don't care what he says to do. I'm going to do my own thing. Would you like to be on the side that stands in front of God someday in judgment and hears him say to you, looks like you didn't give mercy to the people in your life? Or would you like to be on the side that gets no blessing from God for being merciful? Which side would you like to be on? Which of those four would you like not to obey? Which of those four aren't reason enough to show the people in your life mercy? See, our primary responsibility in relationships is not to deliver God's judgment. It's to deliver his mercy. And you're going to need his help to do it. Look, look at Psalm 101, verse 2. Lord, I want to walk a blameless path, but how I need your help, especially in my own home where I long to act as I should. Boy, that could sum up the week for many of us. Could it not? I was nice to all the strangers. I was polite in the line at the grocery store. I spoke words of kindness to the teller at the bank. But man, I crushed my family. Man, I yelled at them every night. I just want to end today by giving you some mercy killers. So what kills mercy? Here's question number three. You ready? What kills mercy? Let me give you five things that will kill mercy in all your relationships. You ready? Unstable discipline. Now really, that might be better said as inconsistent discipline, but all the other ones I thought up start with you. And so, because I'm a preacher, I kind of had to try to figure out a U word to start this one with. But unstable fits too. Unstable discipline or inconsistent discipline. This really happens for two reasons. Reason number one is you get lazy. So sometimes somebody does something to offend you in your life and it causes you to get angry and lash out, and sometimes they do something that offends you, and you don't lash out just because you're lazy, you don't feel like dealing with it. But other times, the reason this happens in our life is because we get emotional, and so I respond out of emotion, and it's like the people in your life never quite know when you're going to snap. You're unstable. You're inconsistent. Something that angered you yesterday might not bother you at all tomorrow. You're, you're volatile. And it's a mercy killer because all the people in your life are walking around on eggshells. Like, I don't know if I say that, it might, I say the wrong thing. And they walk around scared of you because your discipline, your punishment is unstable. Mercy killer number two, unbalanced correction. Everything that comes out of your mouth is correction. There's never any encouragement. You know, studies show that it takes 10 positive comments for every one negative comment, for a human being to feel good about themselves inside. 
Can I never correct something that my family does that offends me? Absolutely, absolutely. But what if this week you tried giving them 10 words of encouragement every time you had to correct something? Because for some of us, the only things that come out of our mouth are the things that upset us, the things that make us frustrated. We never take the time. I, I see this all the time. We go to cross-country meets with Sydney now. Or if you're at a sport, you see one of those parents at a game. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Everything that comes out of their mouth is criticizing their kid's effort. Like, how about clapping for them every once in a while? Or tell them they did a good job after one game. How about pulling them aside and tell them the seven great things they did in that game instead of just banging on them for the one shot they missed? They need it. Because if they don't get that from you, you're killing mercy in your family. And you're going to create kids. You're going to create spouses. They're just going to close down and say nothing. Mercy killer number three, unreasonable demands. This is where you put demands on the people in your life that are inconsistent with their ability to accomplish them. Demands like like expecting a six-year-old to act like a 15-year-old. It's not going to happen. And maybe it's a demand based on their age. You know, my my six-year-old's never going to reason like a 16-year-old. But maybe it's demands that I place on them that they can't accomplish because of spiritual or emotional deficiencies in them. And you say to yourself and you say to them and you yell at them over and over, it doesn't make any sense. I'm your wife. You should want to touch me. But what would it be like if you were abused as a kid? I'm your husband. You should want to be intimate with me. But what would it be like if you had been raped? And you make no leeway in your life. You give no mercy for the fact that somebody else in the relationship might have emotional damage that keeps them from rising to the expectation you're putting on them. Is there mercy for that? Or are you going to keep hammering them over the head with it? How about mercy killer number four, unspoken expectations? Well, they should know what I like. Well, they should know me well enough by now to know what I want. No, they shouldn't. Where did you read that? Who told you that? That people are supposed to get to a point where they can read your mind. Start gently speaking your expectations with the people around you. Don't hide them. Mercy killer number five, unresolved anger. This is when you go to bed and you're still angry. You let the sun go down on your wrath. You hold a grudge. You secretly punish all the people around you for stuff that they've done instead of dealing with it in a healthy, mature way. Let me say it this way. You ready? Let me say this one this way. There is nowhere in God's word, there is no commandment from God, there is no permission slip from the Lord that allows you to hold anger inside at somebody else. It doesn't exist. So, so the next time somebody in your life, a homie, a family member, a friend, asks you the question that we all ask because we all get this spidey sense that something's wrong, and they say to you, What's wrong? And inevitably, we all answer back, nothing, which is a lie, right? Instead of that, you're only allowed two answers from now on. If you want to build mercy into your life, there's only two answers to that question. You ready? Because you know something's wrong. Stop lying about it. There's only two answers you're allowed to give. Here they are. You ready? Answer number one. Something's wrong. Let me tell you what it is. Whether it's you or not, I'm going to tell you what it is so you'll know what's wrong. That's answer number one. Or answer number two, you can say, something's wrong, but I can't talk about it right now. Can we talk about it a little later? That's it. But stop the lying, because it's killing mercy in your, fr- in your family, in your relationships. Okay, so let me ask you two questions to wrap up today. You ready? 
Here's the question, the first question. Is it possible, is it possible that you need mercy from God right now? Is it possible that the reason it's been so hard to show other people around you mercy is because you haven't actually experienced real mercy from God yourself? Oh yeah, you prayed some prayer, somebody told you to pray, or you got baptized, but somehow dunking your head under water didn't make you more merciful, and it didn't help you feel anything from God more. Somehow repeating magic words after somebody didn't help you feel more love or mercy from God. And because you've never really experienced real mercy from God, it's now hard for you to give it to anybody else. Is it possible? Can I just ask you this morning, will you ask him for it? Because he stands ready to give it to you every day, over and over. It's a brand new morning. And God is waiting to give you the mercy you need. Lamentations 3, verse 23 says this, Great is the Lord's faithfulness. His mercies are new, not once in a lifetime, not only when you earn it, not only when you deserve it. His mercies are brand new each morning, over and over. Is it possible that what's keeping your family from going to a whole new level is that you need some mercy from God today? Will you ask him for it? He wants to give it to you. It's his way. He's so rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy, and he loves you so much. He wants to give it to you. And I don't want to get too much in the weeds in this, but I love Old Testament history. It's my favorite part of the Bible. And there's this uh, story or a piece of the Old Testament. I just want to kind of recap it with you, but maybe you've heard this before, but there's this thing in the Old Testament. If you want to look it up on your own sometime, Exodus chapter 25, great chapter on God detailing this piece um, uh, of uh, this artifact, Exodus 25. It's detailed in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 8 and 9. Those are great chapters if you want to read up on this. But there's this thing in the Bible called the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe you've heard of it before. Uh, if you ever watched the old Indiana Jones movies, maybe you've seen it, a picture of it on TV. But the Ark of the Covenant, God tells his people, I want you to build this ark. He gives them the dimensions for it and what it should be made out of. It's roughly four feet long, two feet deep, and two feet high, right? Basically four by two by two. This kind of chew. It almost looks like a small casket. Does that make sense? It sits on the ground. He says, I want you to build it with rings on the four corners on the bottom. Put poles through it so if it ever needs to be carried, people can just lift the poles up and carry it. I want you to make it out of wood and then coat the whole thing in gold. And then on top of it, I want you to make two golden angels, have them face long ways end to end, reach their wings out till the rings touch at the top. And so the golden wings of these angels kind of form like an ark over top of this wooden, covered in gold casket looking thing, right? So can you imagine, can you see this picture of this thing in your head, right? And then he says, I want you to take it into what I call the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle. And then later they moved it to the temple when the temple was built. It's this room that nobody could go in except for the high priest once a year. And if anybody went in outside of that one time a year besides the high priest, they would instantly die. And once a year, the high priest would go into that room and God says, right there in that spot where the angels form that arch, over top of this wooden gold-lined casket is this flat spot. Can you see the spot on top of it? Underneath the angel's arches, the angel's looking down, covering this 
gold flat piece. And that flat piece right there in the Old Testament is called the mercy seat. And God said, once a year, when the high priest comes in there, I will come and sit in that spot. My presence will rest on that mercy seat. The high priest will come in and he will offer sacrifices, blood sacrifices, in exchange for all the sins that the people of the nation have committed this year. And in that moment, as I sit on the mercy seat, I will give them all mercy for all the things they've done wrong. When you get to Hebrews chapter 8 and 9, you find out that Jesus, when he came to earth, came to become our high priest. And he walks into that holy of holies where nobody else is allowed to go. And he rips the dividing curtain in half so we can now see in. And we can see what's going on. And he goes into that room where the mercy seat's at. And God the Father's presence is right there. And Jesus stands in front of him and he says, I have come to be the high priest for this people. But not just their high priest. I am also the sacrifice. And because of my sacrifice, will you forgive them? And God says to him, I will extend mercy to them. They don't deserve it, and they haven't earned it. But I will sit on this mercy seat. And because your sacrifice was enough, I will extend it to everything they've ever done and will ever do wrong to offend me. Mercy. Do you need that mercy today? All you have to do is ask him for it. You don't have to earn it or deserve it. The last question I want to ask you is this. Is it possible that there's a homie in your life today, a friend or a family member, that needs mercy from you? And the only thing keeping your family or your friendship or your relationship from going to a whole new level is your refusal to extend mercy to that person. Can I challenge you today to walk out of the room and apologize to them? But they offended me, I know. I know. But apologize to them and, and figuratively walk into the Holy of Holies and ask God to give them mercy because you're going to need help extending it to them. Is it possible that somebody in your life needs that? Because I can promise you this. If you give them that kind of mercy today, it will take that relationship to a whole new level. Can I pray for you? Because I know it's going to be hard. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for the people in our church right now that you would give them not the weakness, but the courage it takes to ask you for mercy. And you would give them the courage and the strength it will take to go out of here today and extend mercy to somebody in their life who needs it, somebody that they've been harsh with, somebody that they've held a grudge with, somebody that they've been secretly punishing for days or weeks or years, would you give them the courage and the strength to extend to those people the same mercy you've extended to us? In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.